Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Arianne Canton, PhD, is a scientist, teacher, and outdoor enthusiast. She started her career as a biologist focused on aquatic ecology, studying freshwater ecosystems and fisheries. She now works as an instructor in the Department of Biological Sciences at the University of Calgary, where she teaches ecology courses. Her connection with the outdoors guides both her research interests and her teaching approach. She encourages students to be curious about nature to help them develop their own research projects and their identity as scientists. She spends most of her spare time outside, hiking, paddling, and backcountry skiing. Please enjoy my chat. Here is Ariane Canton. Ariane Canton, welcome to Let's Take This Outside. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. We actually know each other through uh, my sister, Jen, who is, I think we could both agree, one of the coolest, most amazing human beings on this planet. She is. And a great yoga teacher. (laughs) Yeah, because she's your yoga teacher. Was she your yoga teacher in Canmore? Is that how that worked? Or in Cochrane? I was in Cochrane in Alberta. Yeah. Okay. She's taught it in a few places. (laughs) Yeah. Ariane, I have to say the best guests have a delay in getting back to me because they were on a trip being active because you just got back from a kayaking trip. Where were you? I was in the Broken Islands group in uh, British Columbia, just on the coast uh, of the island, of Vancouver Island. So it was a great one-week trip of kayaking between islands, seeing whales, otter, seals. It was it was very good. I have to ask, where did love of kayaking come from specifically? Kayaking, I actually don't do that much kayaking per se. I have a love of water. So as a kid, I was that annoying kid that wouldn't get out of the lake or the river where I was swimming, like to the point of giving myself hypothermia. Like I just always loved water. And that really guided uh, my career in the end. Because I remember as a kid going to like national parks and talking to the naturalists and biologists there. And just I was that curious kid who asked questions about all the animals and the plants. And then somehow, yeah, I just kept going in biology. And then a lot of my recreation ended up being paddling, kayak, canoeing, just spending time around water and fishing. Yeah. Do you remember when you were around the naturalists and the scientists and you were learning? Do you remember any facts when you were a kid that you remember to this day that helped steer the direction of your career? I remember discussions about salmon and about like salmon migration and how salmon are basically in many cases, the same species as trout that we have in freshwater, but that basically the same species, some of them have adapted to be what we call landlocked and stay in freshwater. But in others, um, we have that a lot with like Pacific salmon, where the steelhead is the same as the rainbow trout is the same species, but then steelhead live in the sea and then migrate up um, rivers to go spawning while rainbow trout just stay in freshwater. So that idea of being able to live as a kid who wanted to be a mermaid basically and stay in water all the time of adapting to like salt water to freshwater, I thought was really, really cool. So that was one of the ones that really interested me as a kid. 
I don't know if you could decide on this. Uh, Jen and I grew up in Ontario surrounded by the Great Lakes. So I have to ask, like, do you prefer freshwater? Do you prefer the ocean? Do you prefer rivers? Like, where does your heart really lie? Or is it everything has its own ecosystem that you love? Yeah, it's so tough because coming from Quebec, uh, and I grew up kind of in a very like lake district, with a lot of smaller lakes, not the Great Lakes. Um, one thing being in Alberta now that I miss a lot is warm lakes to swim in. Because here you see a lake and it's an alpine lake. It's a lake that's fed by a glacier. So even in the middle of July, it's it's not that comfortable. So I really miss that. And career-wise, I've worked on lakes and rivers, and I, I love those systems. But just coming back from this coast and spending time uh, in the ocean right now, it's like different organisms. So yeah, I don't think I can make a decision. I, I love it all, but for very different reasons. Yeah. You're an instructor at the University of Calgary. You teach ecology classes, but can we, you know, I want to go back to the beginning again, and I think you've already touched on this, but the passion for nature and science, how did you end up teaching ecology at the University of Calgary and sharing your passion and your love? Well, that's very interesting because that was not my intention. So I worked for a bit as a biologist. So I went to school, did an undergrad, a master's, spent some time working in aquatic ecology and fisheries. And then while I was doing my PhD at the University of Calgary, I had an opportunity to, like, for one semester, take somebody's class as a sessional instructor. And I really liked it. I really connected with the students. And I was like, wow, maybe that's what I should do. And I remember for that course, uh, we had a weekend field trip. So it was aquatic ecology. So we took the students to Alpine Lakes, actually, and to show them how we sample. How do we catch zooplankton and phytoplankton? How do we take water samples? When we take them back into the lab, what do we do with them? How do we get information on uh, water quality? And just showing these things to the students, connecting with them, hearing about their ideas, their their questions uh, about the data we were collecting and what predictions they were making. Oh, I think this lake will have more fish than the other or not. And I just really, really like that. And so from then, I continued my PhD, which I finished, but I just uh, moved things around to really orient it more towards teaching. And um, yeah, that's what I've been doing since. When it comes to teaching specifically, what drew you to that? Or were you like, I want to share my knowledge. I want to share what what I've learned. Like, where did that come from? Because that takes a very specific kind of person to want to teach. I think maybe it started as wanting to share my knowledge, but more and more, I think more about kind of knowledge co-creation or getting people interested or, or starting to read where the students want to go and help them get the skills. I think it's just seeing other people be curious and I have new ideas and I have questions that really drew me to that. And just like even for me going to university, so I worked between my master's and my PhD and, and you know, it, it's nice to have a salary and, um, and, <laughs> and no, but like be outside. Yeah. But then I really miss the academic world of lots of deep discussion and sometimes not agreeing on things. So having a lot of like very intense discussion, having the freedom to ask question and experiment. And that's really what I enjoy doing with students. So yeah, of course, I like to see them um, discover ecology, biology, and like oh, having those like, wow moments. But what I enjoy even more is when they ask me questions that I don't have the answer to. And then we sit down, I'm like, well, I have no clue. We're going to have to search that together. And then maybe there's no real answer. And that kind of more gray area and breed that idea of like discovery, inquiry, and seeing students being like, oh, wow, I can be a scientist. Like we are doing science right now is, is really cool to me. 
What's a topic that comes up the most that you love debating that you're really like passionate about, that you really get into with students or other professors? It's interesting. There's a lot relating to wildlife and fisheries management. So often when we think of, of managing, we're like, oh, yeah, we want to conserve those species. And it's clear that's the goal. But then when we bring in like different interests, so sociologically, what do we want to do? Economically, what do we want to do? It gets a lot more complicated. And it's by bringing all those disciplines together that we can make management decisions. And so more and more wildlife conservation and management and fisheries has started to take into consideration, well, the economic aspect, the sociological aspect, the recreational aspect. So there's a a case study that I run in my intro to ecology course that one of my colleagues developed on caribou conservation. So the caribou populations in Alberta are not doing well at all. A lot of them are in the oil sands or near the oil sands. So in that area of Alberta, there's a lot of industrial activity. So the case study in the class is that, okay, well, the best solution that we've come up with, and that's what's happening in Alberta right now, is that we are calling the predator of the caribou. So that means killing wolves, basically. And students are horrified when they learn that that's one of the main ways that we're using. And they're like, so we look at all the different aspects and they're like, no, we should just like slow down on the industrial uh, exploitation of resource, which um, creates linear disturbance that makes the predator more able. It makes it easier for the predator to get to the prey. So I'm like, yeah, that's great. But then where are your parents going to work? Where are you going to work? Like, this is a big economic driver in this province, in this country. How do we reconcile those ideas? So I love those discussions where it's not black and white. And sometimes the compromise, the trade-off that we have to expose and, and the compromise that we have to make are sometimes a bit frustrating. But I really like those discussions of seeing uh, what other aspects should we consider when we make those types of management decisions. I want to talk about more about what you teach specifically, but I almost want you to dumb something down for me because yes. I'm not an academic in any way, shape, yeah. or form. But can you dumb down what exactly is ecology? Is it more of like a blanket thing or like can you sum it up in a couple sentences what exactly that is? Yeah. Well, so ecology is the interaction between the biological, the living, so plants, animals, organisms, and their environment. So seeing how those organisms are impacted by the other organisms around them, but also just by the weather, the geological characteristic of their environment, the soil. So linking that together. So I love ecology because you can go from very small scale questions and interests to large questions on uh, nutrient cycles and how that impacts the biological world. So organisms and plants. I almost feel like I'm like a five-year-old asking a question oh, here, but like, I was going to say, do you have a favorite animal or do you have, or do you have an animal <laughs> that, that you've learned so much about that you're surprised is like super fascinating or something really cool you found out? Is there any animal specifically that you're like, they're so cool. People have no idea. Yeah. Well, and most of my work has been aquatic and focused on fish. So I would probably go for a fish first, but I also really like invertebrates. And a lot of people are grossed out when I'm at a lake and I'm like, oh, look at those. And I pick up a bit of water and I point out all like the <laughs> like very small zooplankton in the water or the what we call benthic invertebrates. So those are the often larvae of terrestrial insects that live at the bottom of the lakes and rivers. I find those really cool. And one of my favorite is the caddisfly. 
So the caddisfly, when it's a larvae, it will be at the bottom of often like fast moving water, but also you find them in lakes and they make little cases. So I invite everybody to Google a caddisfly. And there was an artist uh, a few years ago that put caddisfly in an uh, aquarium with um, like gemstones and things like that. And then they made their case out of those gemstones. It's a really cool example of an organism that uses its environment to build a protective structure for itself. So caddisfly would be my, my favorite funky organism. Caddisfly, how do I spell that? C-A-D-D-I-S-F-L-Y. I have a feeling people are going to be Googling. I'm going to Google that (laughs) (laughs) when we're done. And more specifically, aquatic, the ocean specifically, there's so much we don't know about the depths of it or the organisms, or there must be some, some very deep curiosity for you as you study this about probably alien-like animals or just organisms in the ocean. Yeah. I, and I have, I must admit, I, my career has been mostly freshwater, but all the organisms that have adaptations, so have developed prevolution adaptations to be able to live in extreme heat, like heat vents or like very, very dark environments. So some of those adaptations show into organisms that look really weird and kind of counterintuitive sometimes to like what you would expect to see. So those I find, yeah, very interesting. But I kind of, I'm not an expert on those, but that's definitely something that impresses me. Yeah. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson. I would love to talk about, again, what you teach. So you say you use an experimental approach to help students connect with nature and ecology. So I'd love to know what that means. So uh, for me, experiential learning is really to kind of learn by doing or learning by doing what the scientists do in real life. So obviously, you need to start by giving students like building blocks of theory and like where to start, but I just like them to develop their own like research question. So looking at different plants and then wondering like, why is this plant growing better than this other one over here? So, you know, make an observation and then start to think of like, what do we know in theory? What hypotheses can we make uh, about the world around us? So that leads in the courses I teach of like making some small experiments or using real data, so using big database to answer questions. But I'm trying to move away from like anybody who's studied in science in the past 50 years would know like a lot of the science is kind of 
we call it like cookbook labs. So you go in the lab, you mix the two substances together. It does a bit of smoke. And that's like, okay, and that's a good way to get the basis. But I really like students to actually do an experiment. And like, we don't know. Because a lot of science is dealing with uncertainty or things that don't work. And then being creative into approaching that question in a different way or trying to figure out what's happening. So while it can be a bit frustrating for students sometimes when what they're trying to do doesn't work or it doesn't give them the answer they were expecting, that's real. That's authentic. That's how things work. So that's really what I try to do in the courses I teach. It takes different form because there's different format of courses. So I was talking earlier about introduction to ecology. So there's like over 300 students in that class. So we cannot do like everybody has their own project because that would take a lot of time for everybody and resources. But we put students in teams. We give them some ideas of plants they can use or animals they can observe on campus, things like that, or database that they can dive in. So there's more and more of research right now that uses existing data and those kind of big data ideas. And then we tell students, okay, what do you want to learn about? So start reading in a literature, what kind of studies have been done on this like biological process or on this organism? And what are you curious about? What can we test here? And then, yeah, running a semester long experiment and then seeing what they get out of it. Has there been any discoveries or any conclusions from these that have blown your mind? Has there been anything that's been really kind of forward thinking and or like an accidental discovery? Not sure if there's been any like big, big discovery, but there's been new explorations. I was working with a student who was working in urban wetlands, like stormwater ponds here in Calgary. And uh, when we started sampling and going out to explore those, um, we had big expectations of what organism and what water quality we would find where. And in the end, some of it didn't hold up at all. So our perception of was was like a healthy ecosystem, like just looking from the outside. Oh, yeah, there's good vegetation. It looks like good cover. And then when we actually look at what was in the water, it didn't quite stand up to our expectations. So that was an interesting one um, where I came in. It was humbling thinking that, oh, yeah, I know what a good a good wetland looks like. And then, yeah, it was not exactly what I thought it would be. A passion of yours is talking about equity diversity and inclusion in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. Dr. Gordon Walker, I spoke with him. He used to teach at the University of Calgary as well. But we talked a lot about equity and diversity and inclusion in the outdoors. So I want to know, what have you learned? What is some of your main messaging around this? And what have you taught and talked about in your classroom? Well, first, I learned that I grew up with a lot of privilege on that front. So it made me realize that, yeah, growing up in a family where we went camping, where I got some outdoor skill from a young age, that I was comfortable, you know, being in the forest on my own. I knew how to start a fire. Those things is not everybody's experience. So on that front, I had to realize that, oh, yeah, like with people around me, I have to, you know, facilitate for everybody to discover that. And it made me change some of my behavior or just my approach to recreating in the outdoors. So meeting new partners to go climbing, to go hiking. But then bringing that in the classroom, it made me realize that when I tell students to dress appropriately to go outside, that might not be enough information. And that not everybody (laughs) has the background on this and the experience that I have or I had at their age. And, you know, I, I was called out a few times to be like, yeah, you, you, you're kind of disappointed in your student, but, you know, your expectations were unrealistic. So that's one thing that I, I make 
an effort and I try to reflect on to make sure that I don't put my expectations on the students and that I encourage all students to meet where they're at and to grow towards what they want to be. And another example on that is like in terms of mentoring, I think maybe younger me often kind of gravitated towards students who reminded me of myself, which now I realize that the students who probably need my mentoring are the ones that don't remind me of myself. And that's something that I've been trying to change. And then talking to students, a lot of it is how setting the tone. And I've talked to students who didn't really want to go in ecology or go do field work in rivers and mountains, whatever, because they were intimidated or they didn't know how to do it. And they didn't even consider it as an option. So by introducing them through field course where, you know, everything is provided, telling them in detail what they need to bring, what to expect and putting like information on like, how do we pee in the forest? Which sounds very basic, <laughs> but if you've never done it, it, it can be a big barrier, can be very intimidating, can be very uncomfortable. So bringing on that information and making sure that they see that everybody can do it. And if they're not sure that they can ask questions, but it's, yeah, I think a lot of it for it is it's setting the tone and, you know, letting go of expectations and meeting people where they are. That's so fascinating because you were so right on that. Although, you know, I didn't grow up hiking exactly. Like I kind of learned specifically outdoorsy stuff and like outdoor activity more later in life, but I've been doing it for, you know, since my early twenties. So I think I kind of take advantage of the fact that I feel comfortable in nature alone and I feel comfortable going on, you know, a 12 hour hike, or I feel comfortable doing these things when a lot of people just haven't had the right information put in front of them or they don't have the right experience, but it takes a long time to learn those things and to build the confidence. Yeah. And I think I was talking earlier about being called out. One of the insensitive thing I've mentioned once is like, wow, people grew up in Calgary and I've never been in the mountains. Cause like that was one of the big attracting factor for me to move here was like, oh, I can recreate in those mountains. Like I can, can hike, I can ski. But then I was like, yeah, well, if you don't have a car, it's not that easy to get there. If your family has never done mountain sports, why would you go do that? So I think there are more and more great programs to make these types of activities more accessible but there are also other ways to connect with nature like in the city urban parks other activities that are close by are also good ways and i'm very excited to see more and more diversity in the people that we see outside that feel comfortable and are leading trips and activities so hopefully we are on the right track here but i think there's still quite a bit of work to do that's so funny that I guess people assume that people in Calgary, that everyone skis and everyone hikes in the mountains and everyone, and that's not true in any way, shape or it's form. It's not true at all. <laughs> no, because it's still like, it's still like a good hour drive <laughs> to the mountains oh, yeah. from Calgary. And there's not that much transit to get it. It's a good bus now that, that goes west, but yeah. It's... You're a hiker, paddler, backcountry skier, among other things, I'm sure. But can you describe your own experience with nature and connection and how that kind of wraps in a nice little bow with what you teach. Yeah, it's interesting because I like to go on like week-long trip. Like I think like a week is a good time to disconnect and totally connect with nature. So disconnect from the busy life and computers and phones. And every time I go on those trips, I have a lot of good ideas for courses, for activities or research projects or things to do with students. So for me, my connection with nature is really it's very meditative. That's how I connect 
with myself, but with the important part. So really, you know, reflecting on what really matters to me and kind of let go of all the annoying little stresses of the everyday life. Some of it is physical activity, but I think there's really a big value in being surrounded and amazed by nature. Even when sometimes when it doesn't go that well. So when you get like when it rains a lot and you're cold and you go into survival mode, well, yeah, you really strip down to the essential at that point and you have to focus on that. And I think there's a high quality on that to some level. Let's keep it like type two fun. If we go into type three, it gets a bit dangerous. But yeah. In that type two fun, you know, has there been <laughs> anything that you've learned in teaching ecology that has applied or maybe saved your life or has really helped when you're out in nature? Like maybe you saw a grizzly. Is there anything that you've learned that <laughs> applied to your own experience? I think I've been pretty lucky. Like in my outdoor activity, nothing really bad has happened. And even like bear encounters, all the bears I've encountered have acted kind of textbook bear they're just like oh i don't want to interact with you and run away i don't i don't have a good save my life story but um the skills of learning in biology but also doing a lot of field work learning about like wilderness first aid has just made me more safe in general and like i guess maybe for like water like padding reading water and understanding currents some of the biology well it's not the biology it's the hydrology on this has helped me navigate those oh yeah I absolutely have loved this conversation. And I also want to know if there's any resources that you could share or any messaging that you would like to share if people want to learn more about ecology and biology and nature and science. And maybe there's some links at University of Calgary that people can take, or maybe there's some courses. Can you think of any resources that people might really enjoy that are listening right now? Yeah, well, in terms of learning about like environment around you, there are a lot of good books. I know for courses, there was a resource at the University of Alberta that was one of those big online free courses about mountains. So it was very interesting because it covered more than just the biology or the geology of the rocks. It went into kind of the sociological aspect of it. So those types of free course, when you can find the time in your busy life, are, are very a good way to, you know, get some information and knowledge and learn to yeah be excited about nature again and yeah we're lucky like just on different radio shows like quirks and quarks and those are, i love listening to those because it just exposed me to easy to understand science and big discoveries that are happening everywhere so those would be my recommendations yeah can you send me the mountain course <laughs> yeah i hope it's still running it was running a few years ago but that one was really good yeah Ariane, I've been smirking and nerding out this entire conversation. I know you can't see my face, but thank you so much for uh, teaching me and teaching my listeners more about ecology and science and nature. And uh, I'm going to post some of your social media links as well, because we clearly have a few things in common when it comes to the outdoors. So thank you so much for your time. I really love this chat. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more, let's take this outside. Go to let's take this outside. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. 
Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.